Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail. This is the podcast where you control the conversation right here at the critically acclaimed network. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. Uh, if you write in, you may call me Rockmeister McCool, if you must. Uh, and we have a new guest in the room, don't we? That's right. Uh, it is Thanksgiving uh, when we're releasing this episode, and that is a time here in America when, at its best, and there's a lot of negativity that comes with the holiday, too, but at its best, it's a time uh, to think about the various things that you are grateful for. And we are incredibly grateful to everyone who chipped in, uh, mm. because when my laptop died, I was like, oh, God. Is this the end of our podcasting? And uh, a lot of incredibly generous, gracious people chipped in uh, mm. to help us get a new laptop uh, in Good. order to continue all these podcasts. Yeah. And today is the first day we're recording. With we're it. recording on this brand new laptop. So if the sound quality is markedly better, that would mm. be why. Or even just if it's different in any way. Yeah, if it sounds a little different, that, that would be why. If it sounds weird, I was using, like if you added the make our voices sound tinny audio effect. I was using uh, uh, some outdated versions of various programs because my mm. computer was really old. Couldn't handle the updates. Yeah. yeah uh, so like some of the settings and stuff are a little different now and things that are pro- uh, programs that I use like GarageBand and for the various thumbnails I've created mm. my Photoshop program no longer works and so now they want me to <laughs> now they want me to sign up for a monthly service rather than just yeah. own the thing which they're, they're offends that, me. They're doing that with Microsoft Word as well. Microsoft you don't just Word. buy it. You have to like it's you, a you pay a yearly fee. It's a word processing program. Yeah, it's like one of the simplest things. I'm just things. gonna pay for I hate that. I yeah, hate that we've yeah. done that. Anyway, uh, so I'm gonna there's like a new like Photoshop type program I'm going to have to get used to using uh, because that's a ton of money. I'm not going to spend on that. <laughs> so uh, in any case, there's there'll be some uh, some growing pains, some uh, uh, trials and tribulations. But I will say this, this is an enormous upgrade. Uh, it sounds better to my ears. Um, it's it's really nice. So yeah, thank you, then- everybody who helped us for that. And um, we don't want to dally. So we're just going to get right into We've Got Mail. Uh, This is the episode, or rather the whole podcast, in which we answer your emails. Mm -hmm. Uh, You write in letters at criticallyacclaimed.net is the email. And uh, you ask us questions. You ask recommendations. You recommend movies to us. You respond to questions that we have given before on the show. Uh, You take us to task sometimes, and rightly so, and we're always grateful Mm -hmm. when you do. Uh, this is your time. Uh, we want you to use it however you want, and we want to get right cracking. So let's do this. Okay, here's a right cracking letter from the letter E. Uh, e from Sweden. Mm. This is, I read the letters however you sign off. Um, this is E from Sweden. E from Sweden says, Hi, Bibbs and Rockmeister McCool. Uh, the O's in McCool both have umlauts. Mm. Thank you for continuing to put out great content. I've spent the past year doing my first hospital internship, and pardon my language, it's been effing stressful. Oh, bad. God, yeah, what, a, uh, what, a, what a rough time to start. But every day after coming home from the hospital, I put on your podcast and relax and forget just how messed up everything is for a few moments. So thank thanks. You. Uh, uh, thank you so much. We're glad we could help. Yeah, uh, you're, you're, e- doing, you're though, doing a much more important job than we are, so if we can make your job easier, yeah. we, I mean, that, we, that's all we can do. No, we're, we're not in escape. We talk about you know the, the word of the day, but... Mm-hmm. We, we're glad you're, you can take comfort in our Yeah, we also talk about old TV shows that nobody yeah, cares that's about. that's true. So. 
Uh, I was just listening to one of your letters episodes where you're talking about different generations. This is something that comes up a yeah. little often. Um, I really enjoyed the episode. I was born in 1997, and there are some big things that always stand out uh, to me about being born that year. Uh, for one, no Terminator apocalypse. Uh, <laughs> Two, we grew up at a time when technology exploded. I remember things like old landline phones with spinny numbers and chunky computers and VHS tapes that you had to rewind before you returned to the video rental store. But then we moved on to the brick-like Nokias and flip phones. I remember the first iPhone being released and the announcement of the first iPad, how big of a deal it was and how excited we all were. The classroom changing from one uh, only the one rich kid having a smartphone to literally everyone having one. Mm. And this was all before I turned 18. No wonder everyone born around this time is so stressed. (laughs) That's a good point. There's been a lot of upheaval in just the basic way we interact with each other and with technology and society and information Mm. in the last, like, 20 years or so. It's been a really crazy time. Meanwhile, uh, I'm I'm so old that I didn't get an email address until my first year in college. Yeah. Which was the year before you were born, (laughs) dear writer. Oh. Uh, Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm 102. Yeah. Talk about you went to college rather late then. <laughs> well, I, I went back. Okay. Uh, t- talking about growing up, I was watching some coming of age, some coming of age film recently. Mm. I was thinking about some of the comments you've made about these sorts of films. I love how critical you are of a trope of an introverted or socially awkward person going to a party and suddenly becomes social and fitting in because I really dislike that trope too. Yeah, um, I. I think it's always a violation of their character. Um, and I well, also usually, and, and usually. I sometimes they really want to, and that's then it true. Well, makes sense. But oftentimes well, it's basically like when you see it in a uh, film, yeah. however, it's usually, it's usually funny. Yeah. And, yeah. and it, and it's always, uh, predicated by a lot of drug consumption, right? Like drugs and alcohol is always a big part of it. It's also predicated mm-hmm. on the idea that being extroverted is the goal It's a thing everyone should achieve in order to find happiness, Mm. and that's just not the way everyone's wired. No, and and some people do, and some people don't. Yeah, follow your bliss. But just just to make the assumption that everyone who isn't extroverted would be happier if they were is not Mm. necessarily the case. Sometimes they'd be happier if people just accepted that they're introverted. Yeah, that's that's uh, we 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 bring that up all the dang time. it's it's an annoying trope. Coming of age tropes are yeah, kind of annoying. Um, I'm pretty awkward socially, and I didn't really start getting uh, invited into parties until I was in university. And let me tell you right now, the parties I went to did not. Not make me magically more social and happy and popular. If anything, I probably lost a few potential friends because they realized how bad I am at partying. Yeah, yeah me too. Me I, too. Yeah. I, I was brought to a party in high school and they were passing around a bong, and I'm like, nope. I was like the straight laced kid. I was not into the weed. I can handle parties uh, if it's like five people or less. There you go. Like like a small intimate gathering where mm. we're all where everyone's able to have a conversation. But yeah. once once you get to the point where there's a din. Mm. A din, like a like a just a general like when, party noise in the background, and that's just like everyone's just doing their own thing, and it becomes like this weird kind of petri dish of socialization. I don't know what to do. Well, I, I don't I get know, really awkward. I don't and know I eventually how just to. Leave. I don't know how to talk to people when it's yeah. too loud. And I, I have one of. Uh, we have a microphone, we do. so I can I can speak in my bedroom voice and be heard. But <laughs> also, I, you're just talking to me, and that's easier because yeah, we true. know each other and we're, and we're comfortable. A, with we're in a quiet room, but I have yeah. one of those annoying voices that doesn't carry above noise, mm. so it disappears in a crowd if I want to be heard. Yeah, but if I'm trying to be quiet, it carries. So I've I've never been at the volume I want to be. We learned how to stage whisper. Yeah. <laughs> 
I remember hearing Stage Whisper for the first time in Don't Haunted Honeymoon. say Honey- the name of the Scottish play. Yeah. Was, I heard that for the first time in Haunted Honeymoon. Nah. Where you say everything really yeah. quiet except the consonants. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I lost a lot of uh, friends because they realized how bad I am at partying, which is fine. Mm. Uh, everyone's different, uh, and everyone has a different experience of coming of age. That's why I don't like it when there are films or books or TV series that, co- that come out uh, that are being acclaimed for being an, uh, quote, authentic reflection of what it's like to be young or said to or said the show is to be a universal experience of growing up because I never relate to them. This we have in common. Um, And I get that the films are compressed media. They're telling a story that in real life takes, uh, takes years when in just two hours, uh, when the film is just two hours and that it's more about relating to the feelings of the film than the details, but I don't relate to any of it. Probably Part of it is probably personal, seeing as, again, I wasn't the most social person growing up, but I think part of it is also cultural. My parents are immigrants, which means that the household I grew up in and my relationship with my parents are different than that of my white peers, and I sometimes feel like my friends can relate to the films that are said to be universal and authentic, but not me, because they weren't made for me. Mm-hmm. And I have nothing against these films. They're telling truths of the people who made them, but my problem is the way they're received and talked about because it's the white experience that is apparently considered the universal experience. Uh, but then I also get more annoyed because when you go, when you do get media about people with immigrant backgrounds and coming of age, you usually get like one and it's only considered half universal in the sense that it's not universal because white people can't relate to it, but somehow all brown people are supposed to feel represented and happy, which is insane because everyone's backgrounds are different. And since the pool of films is not as big as the one with white protagonists, it's really hard to find one that you can relate to. I don't know if I'm making any sense here. Sorry if I'm not. Either way, media is changing, and I'm positive for the future. I'm super excited to see what the new generation will get to the screen. I'm curious. Are there any coming-of-age films or series that you personally related to growing up or that you saw as adults and feel like a younger you would have really appreciated? Sincerely, E from Sweden. Uh, Thank you so much um, for that email. Yeah, there is this really frustrating tendency to have universal mm. be code for white people can identify with it. And typically yeah. white men, but generally speaking, white people. Mm. And that's that's bullshit. That's not what art mm. is for. Art is for uh, to sort of share experiences. And if we keep experience, having the same experience over and over again of having these kinds of stories or stories mm. about these kinds of characters, we're not making the most of it, yeah. I think. And so... It's incredibly frustrating, and even you and I, you know, we actually, I was thinking when I was listening to this email, we had a review on iTunes, one of the best reviews we've ever had. I really loved it. It was positive, but beyond Mm. that, it was funny. And they referred to us as hopelessly out of touch, and they (laughs) specifically said that, and they meant that in like a a dad way, Mm. and uh, they said that their experiences in or our experiences in like California and mm. you know, where we live, but also our high school experiences, which that was interesting that that came up, uh, were probably not like everybody's. Mm. And that's true. We come from a particular place, which has a particular, uh, culture and mm. view of culture. And that has definitely skewed our perception in a certain way, which is why I like seeing movies about people who don't look at things the way I did or didn't mm. grow up the way I did. Um, 
I, uh, I I've struggled my whole life with uh, the media I've consumed yeah. and how uh, young people are depicted and how insulted I always felt mm. that I was supposed I was meant to relate to the kids on screen even if they were around my age uh, if they were also white kids like me who also grew up in a city like me and I just didn't have, have that experience. I was going to different types of schools and just experiencing life differently. Yeah. And my point of view was just never represented. Uh, so, yeah, it's been really, really tough to find something that I find to be universal in terms of things that maybe I personally can relate to. However, uh, when it comes to a coming-of-age drama... Mm. No matter where it comes from, or when it was made, or uh, what the background of the protagonist might be, I'm not going to use the word universal, but I do tend to fall back on that old critical trope of this feels true. That there's a sure. kind of, that, and you and you mentioned this in uh, in your letter E uh, about about how there is a kind of emotional authenticity that comes from a certain type of filmmaking that I do appreciate. Mm, um, yeah. uh, I really liked a movie, a uh, movie that came out two years ago called eighth grade, which is a coming of age story movie. about That's a, really a, a 13 year old yeah. girl. I was never a 13 year old girl, nope, neither. but there was a lot in her story that I could understand. I believed that story. Yeah. That's what yeah. it boiled down to. Yeah. Um, I, 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 it's weird because I hit so many of like the, like, Conventional, you mm. know, boring mainstream demographics, you know, male, mm. white, heterosexual, cisgender, you know, just the, yawn. The, I, well, I mean, <laughs> what I mean is that these are these are the default settings yeah, for so yeah. much art, and yet even then, I still don't feel like I've ever really seen me in a movie. Mm. I, I'm we're all individuals, we're all complex beings. I remember growing up with a lot of coming of age movies and thinking to myself, I wonder what universe that takes place in because I would watch <laughs> the breakfast club and that was not what my high school was uh-huh. like. I would watch I mean, this is a period piece even at the time, but I would watch things like stand by me or the sandlot and they had this sort of halcyon quality, but didn't really have anything to do with the way I interacted with the people that I knew. Mm. I didn't see anything even remotely close to the interactions I was having with the people I knew. And even then it was, um, no, nowhere near as multicultural uh, until Scream, because mm. Scream at least understood that my generation was viewing the world through the lens of culture, of uh, popular Movies, culture and art. Yeah. yeah, so that was our framework for a lot of our conversations, and there weren't a lot of movies that were understanding that that was true for people at a young age. But even that's not really a coming of age movie. I guess you could look at it that way, but it's not really the purpose of the film. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily have a lot of coming-of-age movies that I personally connect to and go, ah, that was me. Um, well, it, it's... I, I think it, we're getting at a bigger uh, part of the conversation that I think we need to rewrite a little bit. And it's this notion that in order to understand uh, or uh, feel passionately about a movie, we need to uh, very directly, like in a one-for-one analog, mm-hmm. see a, an experience we had in order to empathize with it. Yeah, that was kind of what I was getting uh, at yeah. earlier, yeah. Uh, and and I think what we need to take into account is that uh, film is, as, as Roger Ebert was famous for saying, uh, was an empathy machine, mm-hmm. where we are sitting here in the dark 
feeling something that another person feels. And the film is bringing most of that and we're bringing our own heart toward it. But the idea that you need to be like a protagonist Mm -hmm. in a very specific way in order to recognize the emotions, I think is a little bit of a fallacy that we need to start working out of uh, the way we think about films and the way we criticize movies. And it goes beyond that because mm. it's obviously it's insulting that, yeah. you know, you, you can only recognize people who have had your background or mm. look like you. And um, that's not necessarily the case. And if you think about it again, so much of so many of these movies and so many movies in general are again, geared towards white men. That's yeah. the target demo for a lot of, and typically young white men. Mm. Um, so many people who aren't young white men, have had to find some way to enjoy these films, even though mm. they weren't represented in it. Representation yeah, yeah. is a huge part of this. We don't have enough movies that are representing mm. people from other backgrounds, yeah, I, people I, I wanna, from, of different and, and I do identities. Wanna, I do want to clarify that uh, my, my statement was geared toward the people who are constantly being represented in yes, media. Exactly. Uh, yeah. No, I, I agree. Not, not, and not the people no. who are being underrepresented. No, 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 exactly. That's yeah. my point. Yeah. That's my point is that it's when we talk about it, it's important to look at all the different angles here. And it's, it's a lot. Mm. And, you know, I might find myself saying, I don't, I, I could stand a little less representation mm. of what people think my life is like, because we, God knows we have enough of them. Mm. And even then I don't see myself in it very much because there's so much room for other stories that aren't being told enough. And even mm. when they are being told, they're not getting the traction. They're not yeah, getting a big right. enough release. They're, people aren't talking about them as much because we're still talking about the big blockbusters every single week. Mm-hmm. Less so this year, but it's still dominating the conversation, the mainstream. Um, these are issues that w- we need to address, and these are things that we desperately uh, uh, need to consider as we consider film as an art form, which, of course, it is. Yeah. We need to consider whose stories are being told, whose stories am I seeking out, and if I am not connecting with the narrative, what is the underlying reason? Is it because it's badly told? That can happen. Mm. Or is that it can because happen rather frequently in fact. Yeah, of course. And some, there's a lot of bad movies out there. There's mm. a lot of movies that are mixed bags. But beyond that, um, I again, you see things happen. Like I remember when Jodie Whittaker was announced as the new Doctor Who, mm. and a lot of people were saying like, "Oh, how can I relate?" I'm like, I don't fucking care <laughs> like I don't like why wouldn't you mm. she's a person <laughs> just just watch her act she's really good <laughs> um and and then uh, people were like oh Star Wars was like a franchise for men and young boys for a bit because that was the default setting of culture and we've moved on and now maybe you should extend a little empathy and consideration for the fact that the majority of the planet is different (laughs) yeah (laughs) like let's just be fair so these these aren't made by a a white well-to-do kid from modesto california who Mm. you know worked on hot rods and watched you know sci-fi serials when he was a little boy, and grew up in a time where again the mainstream culture was very much dominated mm-hmm. by white people, and also people who th- those white people were deciding what else got on the air if it mm-hmm. wasn't you know. Yeah. And so, yeah, things are changing. Good. It's called <laughs> we're, we're moving forward. It's great. It's exciting, <laughs> and and we still have a long mm. way to go. And there's still so many people who aren't getting their stories yeah. uh, told, who aren't recognizing themselves on screen because 
yeah, they don't have a million films to choose from. Mm. There's only so many, and it would be great if we had a million to choose from. Yeah. So let's make a million more. Uh, let's move on. Thank All you so right. much for the great letter. I hope, right, I hope we discussed it reasonably well. It's yeah. a big topic. Yeah. Here's a letter from Blake. Hello, Blake. Um, hello, Bibbs and Whitney. Bibbs, you are my hero. What did I do? Ghostwatch. Yes! Uh, I was about 12 when I saw it on TV in the UK and thought it was a real program and not a drama. I was stunned, shocked, and scared. <laughs> the presenters were real British celebrities, not actors, so I was fooled. Glad it has come a, have some love across the pond. Uh, anyway, here's my real question. Uh, if, real fast, if anyone doesn't know what we're talking about, when we did the Iron List and we recommended ghost movies, I recommended Ghost Watch, which is largely unknown here in America. I, I hadn't even heard of it. You introduced me Which is me weird, because thing, I just yeah. want to talk to you about it before. But in any case, uh, it's an incredible movie. It's actually not very easy to find right now, but a lot of people like sought it out, and I'm very, very grateful that mm. they did. Um, and, um, yeah, it's really, really great. It's so <laughs> scary. I love it. Uh, he goes on. Uh, anyone, here's my... Here's my real question. Being British, living in England, Mystery Science Theater 3000 hmm. is a bit of a mystery to me. I've watched the recent Netflix shows and found them hilarious. You refer to this show many times. This we yes, do. we do. We uh, and, I, and I can tell there is some cu- cultural importance to the show to American audiences. Can you help explain some things? <laughs> can you okay. tell me a bit about the background of the show? When and where did it air? Who, did, who made it? Why was it so important to you and audiences? Is it a fully scripted show or is it improvised? Uh, thank you for all you do and proud to be a supporter on Patreon. All for that. God bless. Yeah. Uh, P.S. Um, I love Star Trek, but Boy Discovery is a tough watch. <laughs> Michael Burnham is the most disobedient officer in the history of Star Trek. Every single episode, she's given the finger to her superiors. Rant over. Thanks again, Blake. Um, uh, I can't speak to Discovery, yeah. but MST3K, Mystery Science Theater 3000, mm. uh, is something I can speak to at great depth because I, I love the show. It has flaws. But I love the show. I grew up with it. And it was not just a funny show. It was a show that actually introduced me to a lot of cinema. If you're unfamiliar with it, mm. uh, it is a very low-budget comedy show. It started on uh, public t- public access television. In the late in, 80s. In the, yeah, 1989, I think it was. It started in or I really guess late it, 80s. Or, yeah, or maybe even 87 when it was just on public access, KTMA in uh, yeah. Minnesota. But there was a comedian named Joel Hodgson. Mm. Uh, and uh, he and and a group of writers, they came up with the idea for uh, a show about a guy trapped in space. He's been kidnapped by mad scientists. And as part of a science experiment, they are forcing him to watch the worst movies ever made in an attempt to find the worst movie ever made mm. so that they can put it on TV and break everyone's brains and take over the world. It's a thin concept. And and. But that's not really sort of the core concept of the show. It was actually just the, uh, the idea was you're staying up late with friends watching bad movies on public television. Yeah. Because uh, back in the day, you could turn past the network stations mm-hmm. uh, into the UHF dial, the ultra high frequency dial. Mm-hmm. Which and, are local uh, stations, and the signal mm-hmm. only went so far. Or, or they were uh, state like rogue signals you were getting from halfway around the world. Yeah, Sometimes that was that weird. happened yeah, as that, well. Yeah. I remember uh, tuning into a UHF sta- station in a hotel in Solvang, California, Mm. and getting some rogue public access late night movie program from Brooklyn. So it's getting like local Brooklyn ads from across the country. Uh, But yeah, they they wanted to create this show. They went to the local station. Their local station had all of these really bad public access movies Mm -hmm. that they had already bought for a penny and they weren't doing anything with. When there was was a gap in the programming, they would just air... You know, the green slime yeah, or well, one of the Gamera movies. Whatever, or, yeah. You know, giant turtle films from Japan. They're kind of a 
uh, Godzilla knockoff. Um, so listen, they had the movies so, anyway. They're going to so yeah, show they, them anyway. They, uh, they had this idea of like having a late night movie host program, mm-hmm. and uh, Joel Hodgson was going to be the host. He had sidekicks that were robots that he built himself. He was sort of a crafty guy, and he sold these robots to make ends meet. They're, they're puppets. Yeah. They're puppets. Um, and, uh, but like, eventually, usually, the, eventually the robots would go into the theater with him. We'd see the mm-hmm. silhouettes in front of the movie, and they would just sort of talk and have conversations and over they, the film. Yeah. Now, the original version of this, first off, I think it's worth noting that uh, they didn't invent, you know, the whole late night movie host thing that had been mm-hmm. going on since the 50s. Um, and typically what would happen is like when the movie would cut to a commercial, we would cut back to the host, whether it was Vampira or Sven Gulli mm-hmm. or uh, oh, who was the guy who was in Brain Damage? Oh, uh, John Zacherly. Zacherly, yeah. classic, classic host. Mm. And then eventually uh, Elvira became kind of the, the poster person for the mm. late night horror concept. Um, Vampira sued Elvira. <laughs> yes, she did. Yeah. And frankly, with cause. Uh, but uh, in any case, but usually there would be comedy bits between segments of the film. One of the novel things about MST3K was they did comedy bits while watching the movie with you. Now, when the show was originally on, it was a pretty loose affair, and it's my understanding that most, if not all of it, was off the cuff. Eventually, there became a new cable station called Comedy Central. I think it was initially called the Comedy Channel. No, it was a different channel. That was a different channel? Yeah. There was a couple of comedy channels, but Comedy Central was a new, uh, yeah. as it came to be called. No, that was the that was the confusion. They said, yeah. oh, we just, signed, uh, we just signed with the Comedy Channel. Oh, you mean Comedy Central? No, the Comedy Channel. That was yeah. the name of the Comedy Channel. The com- Comedy Central is the one that stuck, and the whole idea of having a whole cable station just dedicated to comedy and that would have its own original comedy programming was quite novel at the time, actually. Uh, and they picked up Mystery Science Theater 3000. They gave it a little bit more money. You can definitely see it in the first season. It's a major upgrade from the public access days. And in the second season, it started to look actually kind of good. Mm. Uh, first season still looks really shabby, but it's, it's charming. Um, and, uh, yeah. So it became about a guy in space with robots that he built themselves. And in the Joel years before uh, he got replaced by uh, another uh, human host, Mike, um, the tone of the show, and this is the part of the show that I connected with, was they would watch these old movies, usually from like the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, and they would be very, very bad. But between the movie, you know, they would riff on the movie. They would make jokes. The jokes were often funny. Sometimes they were offensive and they don't age well, but mostly they were very funny. Um, But between segments, they would talk about the film and they would talk about the film in two terms. One, what does it mean to be human? (laughs) And it was basically and the, the robots who grew up in space would be like, hey, Joel, what's this? thing what's what's a sock hop i don't understand what that mm-hmm. is and then they would do a funny bit about what that is or they would talk about how the movies worked and like hey why does it sound really stupid whenever anyone hits each other in this action movie mm-hmm. well the foley artist wasn't doing very very good mm-hmm. job and they explained how foley worked so it had this kind of peewee's playhouse kind of vibe to it that i really connected to mm-hmm. as a child so it was friendly it was likable 
it had a lot of fanciful elements to it. There was a lot of jokes for adults, but, you know, if I didn't get them, it didn't really matter. And on top of it all, I was being introduced to old genre movies Mm. like The Amazing Colossal Man and The Gunslinger or whatever. And that was something that became very special to me because I love those kinds of films. Um, Most importantly, it was a very sarcastic show. Hmm. we got to interview Joel Hodgson once, the creator of the show. And God, that uh, was a highlight of my life. <laughs> that was a really, it was a really fun day. And uh, one of the films they covered on the revival of Mystery Science Theater was Star Crash, mm. a film that you and I are both kind of fond of. Yeah, I mean, it's not great or nothing, uh, but I, I like it. I can but, watch uh, it without the riffing track. I think it's actually yeah, really fun. We, we brought that up. We said you decided to cover Star Crash, but that's a, a film we're kind of fond of. What do you say to? And then he cut us off. He said, look, look, I get this a lot. Mm-hmm. It's like, how dare you cover X film or I like this movie. Look. Have you really watched Star Crash? Like he, he's <laughs> not fond of the movies he's riffing on. Yeah. Uh, he he is uh, in, in a very important, salient way using uh, a, a broad pop culture map. This entire uh, rewriting of his own brain that has been dictated to him since his childhood through a con- the constant consumption of media. Yeah. To uh, filter out, redefine, and re-criticize a lot of these old movies. Yeah, we're we're getting uh, we're putting these movies in a broader cultural context. And Mystery Science Theater taught a lot of people, especially if they were young or if they were teenagers when they first saw the show, mm-hmm. how like a new way of talking about movies. Um, some people have said that it was ultimately harmful. Uh, when, that, it t- that it treated when, it, it encouraged yeah. people to a judge forward. films very quickly, yeah, and well, uh, and, and and b uh, uh, not respect the medium very much, which mm. can be a bad well, takeaway. That think. that's that's something that sort of came around a generation later mm. when uh, our, the the tone of the conversation had changed back to one of earnestness. Mm-hmm. The kind of jokey tone of mystery science theater. Uh, wasn't as appreciated or some people said that ultimately it was doing a lot of harm to the way we, we uh, have brought to the discourse trademark. And uh, as such, uh, some people feel really kind of ambivalent, uh, ambivalent about it, even though it's still really beloved Hmm. because it's a, it's really funny. It is the guys who write that show, uh, the the men and women who write that show have encyclopedic knowledge of film and media Uh, as such. You're watching this show, you're learning this language of criticism, but you're getting these weird little drop-ins, these obscure references that uh, you're now all of a sudden encouraged to find out more about. It's like Mm -hmm. this guy's riding a motorcycle and he gets knocked over by a bunch of weird dressed like punkers in the post-apocalyptic future. And Joel would say, oh, no, he's being mugged by the split ends. Well, now you get to look up who the split ends are. There's a there's a there was actually something every once in a while as I go about my business of, you know, studying cinema and other Mm -hmm. forms of art and uh, just growing up and experiencing more of the world. All of a sudden I get a joke I never got on MST3K from like 40 years ago. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I guess 30. (laughs) It's not that old. 30, 30, 30. Sorry. It's still a long time. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's actually one that happened really recently. Uh, because uh, we do a podcast on our Patreon called All Our Yesterdays, where we're rewatching, or in my case, watching for the first time, uh, every single episode of Star Trek. And we just got to an episode called Plato's Stepchildren. And there is a part in that episode where Spock 
sings a song on like a lyre, you know, one of those yeah. like kind of mini harps that they would have in like ancient Greek plays and things. Bitter drags. Yes. Ooh, bitter drags. Oh. And um, that is sung by Tom Servo in Hercules Unchained. <laughs> and not only is it sung by Tom Servo in Hercules Unchained, not only is it sung by Tom Servo, uh, he sings the the version from the next week on Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Not the version they sing in the actual episode, which is longer. He has this weird, awkward, amelodic cut to different parts of the song. That's how, like, very minute the mm. references can be on MST3K. And yeah, you're getting this weird cross section of like all culture, but something you brought up and I think is worth noting about it. I feel like the mentality that goes into mystery science theater 3000 mm. is something that is carefully chosen because they're watching movies that are not engrossing enough that they can just be quiet and watch the film. Mm. And what they're running commentary represents is I'm not invested in what I'm thinking about and my mind is wandering. Mm. And that is the kind of criticism that it is, really. That's the yeah. ultimate criticism of it is, I am it, not it, engaged it in this narrative. Me. And as a result, I am picking up little things and I am making connections. Mm. So when you hear someone say something and it reminds you of a line of dialogue in a movie, that's more MST3K than just laughing at someone on screen because they're not yeah. giving a good performance. That's, for me... And that's a lot how my brain works because I've downloaded so much art and popular culture that I think of that constantly. Yeah. So it really connects to me on that level because most of the time they're speaking my not just my language but my inner monologue. If I don't really have one, but they're they're speaking my brain mm. basically, um, and I love that. So I think. There's a lot going on to it. It's a really interesting show. Uh, there have been real low points. It's gone up and down over the years. But um, I think at its best, A, it's really funny. Mm. Uh, B, it, it, it can, I think, with the right attitude, be a celebration of cinema. Uh, especially like raising awareness of films that otherwise most people would never see yeah. under any circumstance. And now all of a sudden people know what Manos the Hands of Fate is. Um, well, and, it, and it, it teaches you something really important, and that's uh, sometimes bad movies are fun. Yeah, it's true. You know, just sort of sitting there yeah. wallowing in total misery. Uh, yeah. It's like, oh, well, no, we, we can actually sort of think about this in a wry sort of way. Yeah, and, they're not talking about not the movie. Like, if they were going it, yeah. off and having their own conversation that had nothing to do with it, mm. that would be, like, the ultimate criticism. But they are sitting with the movie. They're watching the whole thing. And they're getting something out of it. They're interacting with it. Yeah. And that's something I think we can all learn from rather than just tuning out. Yeah. Um, so, in any case, a lot of people have a lot of complex opinions about it, but Whitney and I are fans. Hopefully that gives you some idea as to why. Whitney, real fast, mm. if you can only recommend one MST3K mm. episode to somebody to watch for mm. the first time. What do you recommend? Uh, cave Dwellers. Shit, that was mine. <laughs> <laughs> Time of the Apes, so you can have Okay, cave fine. Cave, those are those are two mm. Joel episodes, and they're classic Joel episodes, mm. and uh, they're 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 quite good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, of the more recent stuff, I actually quite like the Jonas stuff. I think uh, it took a couple yeah. episodes for them to find their groove, but yeah, uh, they they found it. I think it's some really good stuff. Um, yeah, they they started up again, and they seemed like desperate to be entertaining. Mm-hmm. So they were talking a lot faster. The joke quotient they were was way riffing higher. riffing really yeah. fast the first, like, half of the first season on mm. Netflix. Yeah. But uh, the the one... Oh, what's the one? Um, Beast of Hollow Mountain. 
<laughs> I think that's their funniest one of, like, the new, of the new run. That mm. that's they nailed that one. Yeah, that's they, a funny fucking show. All right. Uh, anyway, let's move on. Yeah, we, we, could, we could go on about Mr. We just did. So let's uh, move on. Here's a letter from B. Peterson. Uh, B. Oh, Peterson hi. is uh, write, writes in frequently. I, I don't read their letters a lot because, because we could do nothing they, else. They write in so frequently. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, but uh, this is actually a prelude to something B. Peterson and I did today. Okay. Uh, and I'll, I'll get to this in a second. Um, uh, Dear Bibbs and Whitney, I had the amazing privilege to join Whitney for an episode of Cancel Too Soon today. And while I apologize, so this letter came in today, uh, while I apologize for once again making an incredibly long episode. Not even by our standards. <laughs> no, it's, it's pretty long. Is it pretty long? Uh, yeah. You said it was like an hour and a half. Uh, no, it's it's like two and a half hours. We, okay, we, that's we talked about, talk about, about right. a long yeah. okay, time. That's, 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 um, that's on the long I side. must say that I really valued every second we, we spent talking about Quibi. We're having a spe- B. Peterson and I are are doing a very very special Quibi episode where we're celebrating everything we managed yeah. to watch on Quibi during its very brief life. Yeah. Uh, to, to make yeah. a long story short, we were going to do a whole episode on Quibi with me and Whitney, but mm-hmm. then our Quibi subscription got like sort of unceremoniously ended before I could do most of the research. Yeah, yeah. I was I, literally going to spend like all like a couple of days doing it, and then they just said, "Nope, you don't yeah. have Quibi anymore." I, I even wrote letters. I said, "Could I? I'll, I'll pay the full month amount. I'll, yeah. I'll, I just want to hang on to Quibi." Yeah, for they didn't want to give you any more. Quibi, nope. uh, but uh, we yeah. we knew that B. Peterson was a fan, and we had had a really good time hosting uh, an episode of Your Critically Acclaimed mm. with B. Peterson, and uh, we thought it might be fun to bring them in for a guest spot. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, B. goes on to say, we never actually said it in the episode, but I think it can safely uh, state that both Whitney and I believe that Quibi was indeed canceled too soon. Uh, Anyway, we'll, yeah. we'll get to that. Uh, uh, William, yes. you unfortunately weren't able to see much of Quibi's films slash shows, but uh, if I'm not mistaken, you did manage to see Die Hard. Yes. I'm quite curious. What did you think of it? Uh, both Whitney and I found the premise to be intriguing with a lot of potential, but it was ultimately disappointed with the ex- execution. Once again, thank you so much for thinking of me while figuring out how to do the Quibi podcast. It was an honor. I'll point out that uh, I have now coasted episodes of not one, but two of your shows, which means I have been featured on a whopping 17% of your currently running podcasts. <laughs> You guys do so much That's for us. Funny. It astounds me every time I think of it. Thank you, and see you in the next one, B. Peterson. So yeah, okay, William. Uh, okay, what did you think of Die Hard? Okay, I saw I saw all of Die Hard, and I saw about half of Murder House Flip. Uh, <laughs> Murder House Flip is a weird one. A, did yeah. you guys talk about that one? I we did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so for those who are unfamiliar or may have missed it, uh, Quibi was uh, maybe. Uh, it's the it's the new failingest network in in history. It used to be UPN. Mm-hmm. Now it's Quibi. Uh, Quibi was a streaming service, and the whole idea was it would be stuff you could only watch on your phone. It would be all done in bite sized less than ten minute episodes. And uh, apparently, there's a lot of really good stuff on there that nobody watched because the whole idea of only watching stuff when you're out on the go socializing was kind of not really designed for 2020 <laughs> and so it tanked real bad and lost like a billion dollars in less than a year two billion two billion yep. holy god Aaron was one. Oh my god <laughs> so yeah that beats that beats UPN which took nearly a decade to lose nearly a billion dollars um so um so I watched some of it but I wasn't able to do enough to justify doing a whole episode Die Hart uh starred Kevin Hart as himself 
Uh, he is often, as you may have noticed, playing comedy relief sidekick characters, frequently to The Rock. Um, Co- co-star, please, co-star. Well, th- the premise of the show uh, yeah. is that he sees them as comedy relief sidekicks, mm. and I actually think Kevin Hart can be really good in a lot of movies. Um, but uh, in the premise of the show is he's tired of playing the comic relief, and he wants to be a big action star. And uh, a filmmaker, played by Jean Renault from The Professional, uh it tells him he would like to hire him to be a new action star, but in order to do it, he has to go to action hero school. So he goes to action hero school in the middle of nowhere. It looks like a warehouse in Romania Mm. um, where John Travolta, not playing John Travolta uh, plays the head of the action hero school. And he's going to teach Kevin Hart how to be an action hero, but actually he may be trying to kill Kevin Hart in a series of ill-advised, mm. you know, attempts to teach him stunts. Has a lot of celebrity cameos. Um, it really feels more like a movie than a show. And the problem is it feels like a cheap movie. It feels it's, like a really cheap movie. It feels like one of those movies it's mostly, that they filmed uh, most of it in a warehouse. It's mostly filmed in the warehouse. Yeah. yeah. And for I actually didn't know this until I was looking up information, but the John Travolta character was originally supposed to be played by Bruce Willis. Hence the title, Die Hart. It made oh, a little, yeah, it made make a little bit more sense if yeah. that was Bruce Willis. Yeah. Uh, Bru- they, evidently, they tried to explain Quibi to Bruce Willis, <laughs> and he didn't get it. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't understand. Bruce I'm Willis was ahead of the game. Bruce Wait, Willis was ahead of the game. So, so he turned it down, and they they asked John Travolta, and he said, "Yeah, I'll do anything." Yeah, I have no idea what the hell he's doing in this. He's like, just he's, being weird for the sake he, of being weird. He is weird. making choices I don't understand. Well, I don't understand the character. That's he's John playing. Travolta's mo lately. What yeah. was that movie he did where he was a stalker? Oh, oh uh, the wasn't the fan. It was um, no, no, no. Uh, it was with Devin Sala. Uh, um, oh, that really awful one. I know. I was kind of fascinated by it, though. It's awful. This was interesting. And the, Fred, no one, the Fred Durst movie. No one, it, was directed by, it was directed by Fred Durst from Limp Bizkit. And it was all about an obsessed super fan who was, like, has a big, like, you know, weird obsession with an action star played by Devin Sala. Mm. And um, he starts, like, stalking him, and it gets real weird. Um, say what you will. John Travolta threw himself into that role. Mm. I don't know once he what he did when he was there, but he threw himself in there, <laughs> and he, he never looked back. He's mm. doing. I think he's trying to be Nicolas Cage, which is funny because he, he once was. Mm. Um, but in any case, Die Hard. It's it's a fun premise. It probably could have been a pretty good movie if the, they'd actually instead of just like oh we're gonna like do fake gun battles in a warehouse and maybe the guns don't have blanks in them. If they had had some money at this and they were like, okay, Mm. and here's uh, we're going to like train you how to like handle G forces and he's in a Harrier jet and like another Harrier jets like going to shoot him out of the sky or something like that. The bigger that premise gets, the funnier it gets. Mm -hmm. But the smaller it is, the more it seems like a student film with that just happens to have weirdly big stars in it. Um, I like some of the performances in it, but it's not great. Um, uh, They did in the script uh, address some of the. the homophobic things that Kevin Hart has said in uh, recent years. Yeah. Uh, 
Uh, which, or rather that he'd been taken to task for because he said them before. Yeah, he had, yeah. He'd said them before. He's been taken to task. He lost uh, yeah. He's lost some jobs for yeah. it. Uh, he's, he's been in some homophobic movies. Get Hard is a really gross is, is, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so he has this streak of homophobia that's followed him throughout his career. He's been trying to make good, and I'm I'm grateful that they addressed it, but I wish it was more about that. It really kind of about it, his redemption a little bit more, perhaps, I, it, or that he's at least interested in redemption. I, I'm reminded, of course, of a really, really great film starring mm. Jean-Claude Van Damme called JCVD, mm. uh, in which Jean-Claude Van Damme plays himself. It was at a low point in his career, in real life and in the movie, where he was mostly doing straight-to-video schlock, and not even good straight-to-video schlock. And um, there's a bit where he's like he goes to a bank and the bank happens to be held up by criminals. Mm. And uh, there's a hostage situation in which one of the hostages is Jean-Claude Van Damme. It's weirdly playing himself. himself. It's weirdly good. And the thing that makes it really great, a it's it's smartly written and well-directed. But the thing that makes it like really superlative is that Jean-Claude Van Damme is actually willing to interrogate his own celebrity. Mm. And come to some harsh conclusions about himself. And, and, and the ends, sort of things he perpetuated in the culture that he yeah. doesn't approve of. Yeah, and, and it ends actually with a really, really great monologue from Jonathan Van Damme, which I think is noble, mm. actually. And, I, and then you see this other show he did for um, Amazon. Mm. John Claude uh, Van Johnson. Yeah, which is basically that kind of confessional, My, I'm not... I'm not proud of my career, but I will own my career mm. kind of mentality while also being really, really funny. Um, that show is great. It's 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 weirdly excellent. It's, it's right, great. It's actually show. like heartwarming. Like it works. This doesn't have that. This feels like a LARF. And I feel yeah. like if they had been a little bit more introspective, introspective, mm. maybe daring to actually make Kevin Hart really think about what it means to be Kevin Hart right mm. now and all the bad and the good. Um, they could have had something. The other show that I watched is called Murder House Flip. I saw about half of it. Um, what a stupid idea for a show this is, because the whole idea for the show, the whole idea for the show of Murder House Flip is, and Whitney and B. Peterson are going to talk about this at great length, I'm sure, but the whole premise of the show is they flip a house where they're just going to like completely redecorate it for whoever lives there. Mm. But the reason they're redecorating it is because a murder happened there. And no, not yesterday. Like they're not like cleaning up the blood or no, anything. It's like happened decades before. So these are houses that have like a stigma against them. Like a serial killer lived there and buried people in the backyard. And there's and, a, a Cal- I'm not sure if it's just California, uh, but there's a, a statute that if you move into a house where a violent crime was committed, mm-hmm. the realtors have to tell you. Uh, but there is, there is like a statute of limitations on that and like a certain amount of time backwards they don't yeah uh, but uh, regardless a lot of people end up living in murder houses if the house is around long enough there's a decent chance someone died there yeah hopefully not violently but it happens and that's the history of a house and sometimes that history lives on uh, not necessarily in a ghostly way but just in a people have heard about that house mm. kind of way and as a result people don't like that house that house represents something ugly and as a result you live in this mm. uglified house so what better way to cure that than hire some chirpy interior decorators uh-huh. and here's the thing that's weird about it is 
first off, they're actually really disrespectful to the history of the place. Mm. Because if you think about it, like someone died there and you're worried about swatches. Like <laughs> there's something really there's something really gross actually about how they're totally willing to look over mm. this. And something really ghoulish about how, at least in the episodes that I watched, mm. they were always just like, Oh, and the, she buried all the bodies in the backyard, but we never found all the body parts. So what you're saying is if we dig up this lawn, which we're going to do, we might find some dead body parts. And they're like, yeah, maybe. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I can answer that, that question for that, you. That's the uh, the owners of the house. Yeah. And uh, I can answer that question for you. No, you did not, because mm-hmm. we would have heard about that. Yeah, yeah. So when you talk about how on the murder weapon was never found, maybe if we knock down this this chimney, we'll find the mur- No, you will not, because we would have heard about that. Mm-hmm. That would have been a selling point for the show. So all you're doing is being weird and yeah. ghoulish while you are erasing the history of this house. And frankly... Sometimes making the house look like crap. Uh, my my biggest complaint with Murder House Flip wasn't this weird premise, although that it's a weird premise. Mm. I, it, if uh, if you ever heard of a movie called Stay Tuned, and I say all of this on the, the mm. conversation I have with B. Peterson, but if yeah, you ever don't, heard don't go into too much detail, man. if you ever heard of a movie called Stay Tuned, mm. uh, it's about a a couple that gets a television that essentially gets TV shows from hell. Like literally what the TV yeah. that they watch in hell, they're all mm. these monstrous versions of real life shows. Yeah. Like driving yeah. over Miss Daisy and yeah. Dwayne's underworld. Yeah. The uh, exercisist. Th- that's <laughs> right. The exercise show. Okay. Everybody head spins. Creak, mm. creak, 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 creak. That's what murder house flip feels like to me. It's like, yeah. yo, murder was committed here and every murder house deserves a second chance. And, yeah. Uh, but the interior design they choose is like this bland off the rack kind of catalog it's looking so type of of uh of design that has nothing to do with the personality of the person that lives there no it's just whatever these people like and maybe they have good taste maybe they don't mm. near as i can tell they don't but like we're watching like the second arc of this cuz each one's a two parter my wife and i are watching this and we're watching them like okay so this chimney uh, is uh, uh, maybe giving off some bad vibes. And it's this beautiful, old, incredibly expensive marble chimney. Mm. So they take a sledgehammer to it so they can put in a crappy new one that looks like they got it like at like any fucking housing supply store. Yeah, and yeah. I'm like, okay, maybe it threw off the decor you were going for, but that was a lot of money you just threw away. And you just threw away this really old railing on their, on their staircase and replaced it with a cheap one mm. that you got it fucking animal lumber like what the hell are you doing to these poor people so let alone basically just saying hey a lot of people died here and mm-hmm. it was really really horrible but now it's cute like I, I, the whole show is bizarre to me <laughs> um I would have totally continued to watch it, though. I will tell you that. <laughs> I could have at least finished out the season. I just had to, it was a train wreck in slow motion. It's, it's one of those like, hate watch things. It like, I, hey, did you hear there's a new season of Murder House flip? Oh, I hate fucking hate that show. Get the popcorn ready. Yeah, right. Yeah, kinda. Yeah, because I because I, I actually. Not only do I not really like what the show stands for, I don't think they're very good interior decorators. <laughs> so I'm just watching them ruin houses. Mm-hmm. So, ruin murder houses. Yeah. I should have just called it We Ruin Murder Houses. 
That's a better title. Yeah. Murder House Flip is like, yeah, such a strange Weird movie. thing, man. But yeah, anyway. Qu- Quibi was the place that was willing to go there. Bless them. <laughs> Honestly, bless them. Yeah, Honestly, yeah. someone's got to put out the weird stuff. Mm. Someone's got to take big swings and, in this case, yeah. fail. Well, th- thank you for your, your insight into, yeah. into the Quibbies. And thank you for asking yeah. me, Peterson. I'm glad, yeah. I'm glad I got to participate in a small way. Uh, here's a letter from... And you talk about a lot more shows than that on that show, so yeah, don't we, feel like you just got the whole thing. They, no, no, talk we, about a lot we of talk things. about everything that... Yeah, everything uh, you didn't see. That B. Peterson and I I managed to see between the two of us. Cool. Uh, I didn't even get to finish some of them. I don't know how some uh, of those things end. Uh, and I uh, never they will. ended uh, the way you wanted them to. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, hello, Bibbs, and <laughs> would you would you please rock my star, McCool? Well, mm, that's a little. Would bit you? Strict. Sure. Uh, okay. Any any day of the week. Cool. Um, I live in Austria. Uh, cool. Okay, and uh, as and as as with the rest of Europe. Europe, American movies and TV shows are everywhere. I personally prefer content in the English language in most aspects of life, books, movies, TV, games, and of course the internet. Uh, Anyways, I've never been to the U.S. myself, so a lot of what I know about your country and culture comes from movies and TV. Although the podcast and YouTube era make it possible to get glimpses of how life in the U.S. is actually like, I can't help but picture some things that strike me as strange uh, to be nor... Uh, strange to me, but are normal overseas. I hope you can clarify a few of the following points. Okay, so these uh, are these are things you see in American movies, mm. and you want some clarification. Yeah. Okay. Um, number one, ordering a drink at a bar, then gruffling, mumbling towards the bartender, leave the bottle. Is, <laughs> is that a thing? <laughs> <laughs> Should we just handle these one at a time? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no, that is not a thing. Um, uh, you, that, is, that is representative of, uh, that is a comical exaggeration. Of this person's had a really hard day. Mm. Uh, oftentimes, someone would just say, "Like I would need a drink, and now I would need another drink as I would have a hard day. Mm. I will need so many drinks to get over this really hard day that you might as well just leave the bottle now, and I'll pay for the whole thing." Uh, maybe there was a time when you could do that. You could just yeah. buy the bar's supply of whatever hard liquor they were giving to you. Mm. I don't think any bar would allow. I mean, first I mean, of all, don't go to a bar right now. But no, uh, no. But like even in, even under normal situations, like I think the impression is that it's like a dive bar and they don't care. Yeah. Like. Uh, but yeah, that's the kind of thing where it's like, again, it's like all over, if you, over a, shot, a, a shot of Patron, leave yeah. the bottle. So oh, that's an expensive bottle. Like, yeah, can I put that on your tab? You're throwing a lot of money yeah. down there. They're not giving them that for free. They're, they're going to pay for that bottle. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's true. And that's not like off the counter. That's that's the bar. So they're going to mm. charge you for that shit. And you're expected to tip. Yeah. So, uh, no, that's a comical exaggeration. Yeah. I'm sure it's happened. But I'll bet you it's probably mostly happened because people saw that in a movie once. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I I did that once at a bar just as a joke. Um, I ordered a Shirley Temple because I was driving. <laughs> so a Shirley Temple, uh, if you're unfamiliar, is lemon lime soda with mm. grenadine and a cherry. It's it's not booze. Yeah. It's just this sweet cherry soda. And uh, they, they poured the lemon lime and they poured in some grenadine. And I said, hey, no, no, wait, wait. Believe the bottle. Like, g- g- give me a Shirley Temple and make it strong. Uh, there's, a, there's a story my dad liked to tell. Uh, he had a lot of bar stories from the 60s, so they were good. Um, and uh, But there was one where he actually said that he made the mistake of saying, hey, everybody, drinks are on me, and he had to flee the tab because they went nuts. But the best one was when uh, someone was, like, saying in a bar that, like, some mountain was, like, the highest peak in America. And my dad was like, no, it's Mount Whitney. <laughs> and the guy's like, no, I think it's this other peak. And my dad says, no, it's it's Mount Whitney. Mm. And the guy got all like gruff and he's just like, well, I bet you $20, everything I got in my pocket. 
And it's his other peak. And my dad says, well, I bet you $5,000, everything I've got in my pocket, that it's Mount Whitney. Mm. It was Mount Whitney. And my dad slept in a laundromat that night because he foolishly waved $5,000 in cash in a dive bar. Oh, no. <laughs> so... Anyway, a lot of people do do weird, stupid mm. things in bars, but that's not a common mm. occurrence. Uh, number two, not taking off your shoes when you get home. It is normal here to take mm. off your street shoes when you enter your own or someone else's mm. house. It seems very unhygienic not to do so. Is that a thing? Yes, yeah. I, wear, I wear my shoes at home. A lot of people do it. Uh, a lot of people. It's, some, it's, it's, some people. Uh, some people insist you take your shoes off because yeah. they want cleaner carpets. It's increasingly it's mm. increasingly common over the last like mm. twenty or thirty years, uh, but it's also incredibly common that people just leave their shoes on in the house. Yeah, yeah. and when we live in a dusty town, you know mm. that the air is filthy here in Los Angeles, yeah. even on clean days. So. Uh, even if you take your shoes off, your floors are going to be dusty. They're going to be covered with yeah. dirt. There's uh, only so much you can do. Over, yeah. you know, every every environment's a little different. But yeah, yeah, it's not uncommon at all. In fact, it's probably for most people the norm right. uh, to leave your shoes on in the house. Yeah. Uh, number three, any form of nudity is worse than violence. Is this a thing? Uh, some people think it is. Yeah, uh, we we are a frustratingly prudish lot, we Americans, yeah. uh, which is weird because we're also sleaze bags. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Like we're we're constantly using sex to sell, but it, we only go so far with it. Yeah. And I think like think think about every movie trailer you've ever seen, mm. in which you know and no one in the movie actually has sex or, or gets naked. But there's like one shot in the trailer mm. of like a female member of a cast or just someone who's like an extra in a sexy bikini or like taking off a shirt. Mm. And it's always in like a montage at the end of the trailer. Right. It's like this incredibly insulting trope, but they're just <laughs> like, we need some sex in here. So you know mm. that like, it's kind of sexy, but it's actually not that sexy. Don't don't, yeah. you're not going to be uncomfortable. Now, if, in, if you're in making an audience a, full of people where you're watching people have sex, we wouldn't do that to you audience, yeah, but it's going to be a little sousant of if, sexuality. If you're making a film about adults who have sex and it is looking at adult sexual relationships in a mature way, mm -hmm. that's fine. We don't do that in America. <laughs> very uncommon. It's, it's really weird. We used to do it more um, in like the yeah, 70s and yeah. 80s, but was not, a, not very often. There, there was a, a, a lot of uh, more sexual content in mainstream feature films after the explosion of popularity of Deep Throat, mm. uh, when that was making, it was like raking in movie, hand over fist, Deep uh, Throat. Raking in money, sorry. Yeah. Is that raking in movie? Movie. Raking in money, excuse <laughs> yeah, me. Yeah, that was a hand huge blockbuster, fist. Deep Throat. Yeah. It's a pornographic film from the 1970s with a very silly concept. Um, but well, yeah, but, yeah. That, but that was a time when, again, if you wanted to see real sexuality, like a lot of sexuality in a movie, you had to go to a theater. Mm. There wasn't home video. And then once home video came around and people were like, you mean in order to see something sexy, I don't have to go out with a crowd full of strangers? Yeah, I can just go to a video store and deal with one clerk. Then they did that. Mm. And then once the internet came around and it got good enough that we could like stream video, mm. people are like, you mean I don't have to deal with the one clerk? I don't even have to leave the house. I can just have it here yeah, now. I don't have to I don't have to like rent something and have, you know, worry that whoever someone is judging me for my tastes. Mm. So they just stayed home. And now sexuality is mostly there. And we yeah, don't have it as openly in our media anymore. And, and another big part of it is uh, I, I think a lot of actors are uh, less willing to disrobe in movies because mm. of uh, websites like Mr. Skin yeah. and uh, and the like that uh, 
take all nude scenes completely out of context yeah. and compile them and then present them as pornography. Yeah. So it doesn't matter how frank, earnest, or honest about adult sexuality these movies yeah. are. Someone will objectify some, it. Yeah, yeah, if somebody's going to take it out, deliberately take it out of context yeah. your first day they can. Yeah. So uh, there are some as, real issues involved yeah. here. It's not some sort of thing where it's just like, you know, sex is good and violence is bad. Like, no, there's a lot of bad things we do in mm. how we treat sexuality in the media and in this culture overall. Mm. Um, but it is weird that, especially when it comes to rating systems, it is like so much easier to get an R rating for a little nudity than it is for killing a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. that's I'm, weird. And yeah, violence is considered to be really healthy and cathartic and mm-hmm. heroic even. Uh, you know, what, as long as the hero's doing yeah, it, it's if, fine. Oh no, a bad guy murdered a bunch of people. Oh good, a good guy murdered a bunch of people. It's like yeah. the, the well, victims they were, are still dead. Yeah, uh, but they were probably bad. <laughs> like, I don't know, that one guy was just a security guard working at the evil guy's building. I don't know mm-hmm. if he actually subscribed to his ethos or even mm-hmm. knew where he was working. He could have been a temp. Yeah, like, they, who the hell knows? And they, they take the curse off of it by not showing blood or Mm -hmm. the blood is is a different color which is ultimately arguably worse Mm. because we're actually making violence palatable palatable for a younger audience which is why my favorite filmmaker when it comes to displaying violence Mm. is Paul Verhoeven who when he (laughs) when someone shoots someone in a Paul Verhoeven movie it's like a grenade goes Mm. off in their chest it is violent it is unpleasant that was Peckinpah who uh, Mm -hmm. pioneered that when somebody gets shot yeah but I slow motion spray of blood and that was important but I feel like Paul Verhoeven, even he took it to an all new level. Yeah. And I think it's just, I think it's great. Yeah. And there have been many, many articles about how a lot of uh, PG 13 rated mainstream blockbusters going back decades uh, mm-hmm. at this point, since like maybe the mid eighties when, uh, big budget effects, big based blockbusters were mm-hmm. capturing a younger and younger audience. Uh, were, uh, really glorifying, uh, violence. Yeah. And, uh, and, so there have been articles written about how all of the heroes that uh, several generations grew up watching. Oh, you're I'm, I'm removing it. Well, my, my, my laptop is actually low on battery. Oh, oh. So i got to plug it in <laughs> right. or this podcast is going to end prematurely. So give me a moment, please. Right. Well, I'll, I'll, I, I can continue to ramble for, you for a can. second here. You can, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I've seen plenty of think pieces uh, in, in recent uh, film, The Discourse, trademark, mm-hmm. uh, that point out that A... A lot of the sort of lighthearted, fun heroes and superhero characters that we tend to gravitate towards are, A, incredibly violent people. They live by a code of violence. They exist to fight. And nobody's really questioning that. We just sort of say, oh, no, that's that's what they do. They fight because there's always going to be an invading foreign force for them to fight. And that's not a necessarily very healthy lesson no. for kids to internalize. Yeah, um, the idea that the, st- the mm. status quo is violence. Exactly. Yeah. And, and also that even though... Especially when you look at like the, the the Avengers movies in particular, how they're full of hot guys, yeah. uh, and you know, there's article after article like ranking the, the hotness. Which of the the Marvel characters are the hottest dudes? Mm-hmm. And the answer is Chris Evans. <laughs> Chris, that's that's it. Chris that's Evans. Is, I can answer that question. Chris Evans right is now. the handsomest piece of cardboard I've ever seen. Um, I never said he wasn't cardboard. I just think he's very <laughs> handsome. Yeah, yeah. If you like dull looking dudes, I do. <laughs> Not my type. Uh, <laughs> Liam Hemsworth. That's where it's at. Not Chris. Liam. I Did like you it. see Paranoia? 
Pardon? Did you see Paranoia? I didn't see Paranoia. Yeah, that would that would rob you of that. Oh, well, he's, maybe he's so. He's so boring at that oh, Okay, yeah. You thought Chris Evans was... Okay, anyway, we're just being mean. But yeah, <laughs> um, he's a handsome man. But, I interviewed but, him. He but all, nice. of, all of these handsome people that uh, you know, audiences are saying, oh, they're, they're so cute and they're you know, being sexualized in this very vague, distant sort of way, yeah. are, are having fewer and fewer sex scenes throughout their career. They're not yeah. having sex. They're not on, displaying on camera. on camera. They're yeah. not displaying any kind of like robust sexuality at all. There might be a flirty look, and people latch onto that. Oh, look how sexy this movie is! That was not sexy. That was a flirty look that took a second. Mm-hmm. Where where is my two minute sex scene intermission? In it's the middle in of the this? fan fiction. That's yeah. where it is. Yeah, you have to go. That, to the fan that fiction. one second look gets mm-hmm. you like eighty thousand words of fan fiction. Yeah. So that day. So a lot of just sort of the censorship rules yeah. and cultural you know puritan and Puritan cultural norms in America have really left us infantilized to yeah. worship violence and be afraid of sex. Yes, it's a thing. Yes, yeah, um, there's probably more to this email, isn't there? There is. Uh, <laughs> Why did that one go on yeah. for a while? Next bullet point: uh, picturing Europeans as kissing each other as a form of greeting—is that a thing? It definitely isn't in Austria. Many other countries I've been to, although I can't speak for all of Europe. Yeah, uh, that was shorthand for denoting. French, uh, mostly in, in, Ameri- French. in American yeah, movies, definitely not people British. Kiss each other on the cheeks, definitely not British. But like the the idea is, and this is just one of those. Yeah, it's a shorthand. It's a trope. It's mm. uh, it tells you real fast that no, we're not in America, or these people aren't Americans. That's yeah. basically what that trope means. Because Americans, uh, going to back to the previous point, are so afraid of touching and anything that might be uh, construed as sexuality mm-hmm. that whenever it happens in a movie, when an American character meets a quote French character, mm-hmm. and I, I put French in quotes because it's just sort of vaguely European. Right. Uh, that uh, physical contact makes the American character really uncomfortable and we're supposed to laugh at that. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's a trope in movies, but mm-hmm. no, it's we people. Some people might believe that if they haven't traveled very much, but no, we, that, yeah. that's just a movie thing. Uh, bullet point number five, having takeaway coffee all the time. And huge cups, too, even if there's a coffee machine right there. Is that a thing? Yeah, that's a thing. That's a thing. That's I did that today. Uh, <laughs> that's that's a thing. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when coffee was only drunk by truckers and smokers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then coffee. To be became, fair, everyone was a smoker. That's true. There were a lot more smokers. But yeah, yeah co- coffee and cigarettes was like a just yeah. something like uh, you know, grizzled loners did uh, one yeah. one one point in the if, history. If you're, you're up late, hmm. you're, you're working on your novel. Yeah, it's not a, going well. A cigarette dangling from yeah, your lips. Yeah, like, you're looking at the neon sign outside coffee, the window. Yeah. Like not coffee had like that, hmm. or it was a thing you drank at a diner real fast before. But then, hmm. yeah, it became super mega popular as people well, started having fancier, nicer coffee. Yeah, the, the whole coffee yeah. revolution, which happened uh, mm. like in Early the mid nineties. I, I was in uh, Washington State when this happened, so that's kind of where it started to. Yeah, that's where pop Starbucks up. got started. Yeah, uh, when photomats started to close down. You remember photomats? I do. Uh, yeah, little drive-by kiosks in grocery store parking lots would develop your film from your camera when you had a film camera. Yeah, you just drive by, you drop off your, mm-hmm. your film, you write your name on a thing, it's in an envelope, and you come back, you pay for it after it's been developed, and boom, in like a day or two, you had your photos. Yeah, I, I remember that was when... fast at the time. I remember when uh, instant photos came out and people said, why do you need photos that quick? I don't need them right away. I, I mean, wait a couple days. I mean, you kind of don't, but no, it is nice to have them. I'm no, not going to lie. You don't. No, you just, there's no film at all. You can just take a yeah. thousand pictures in a 
day. So a whole industry died, basically. Yeah, and an industry yeah. was dying out, and the, all these little photomat booths were open, mm-hmm. and some entrepreneur said, why don't we just make coffee in there and hand it to people as they drive like, by? And not just, and not just like, you know, a pot of black coffee with maybe some cream or sugar in it. Like, let's make it nice. Let's like try to make some, it fancy coffee. Yeah, let's see Italian coffee. Yeah. Let's put some chocolate in there mm-hmm. and let's like make it like a dessert coffee or get mm-hmm. some like espresso shots and yeah. stuff. And, and hence it worked. Normalization <laughs> of idea. overconsumption of coffee and caffeine became a thing yeah. in American culture. And yeah. now people tool around town with their own custom mugs yeah. that are full of coffee all the time. Yeah. Uh, my mom taught me how to behave that way. Yeah. She always had a cup of coffee. Yeah, that's totally a thing. I hate coffee. I know. I'm not a coffee drinker. I used to I hate do, coffee. I do, however, drink tea incessantly. You do. So mm. you're still on the caffeine. So yeah, my, I, my, I used my to bones hate coffee, are, but until I finally had it. still cu- calcifying. I, I used to hate coffee, but everyone always tried to give me fancy coffee. It's like, oh, here'll be your gateway coffee. Here's mm. like a hazelnut macchiato. I'm like, no thanks. Mm. It wasn't until someone made me just a good cup of black coffee. Yeah. Where I was like, Oh, this I, is quite. I nice. understand now. Yeah, I, yeah. I had a. I, had it, some, I like things in their in their like individual form. Usually, mm-hmm. like you know, just like their baseline. Yeah, you know, here's, here's what you'll learn about uh, Starbucks. They make shitty coffee. They don't make the best coffee. They make good milkshakes. They, they make like, great like, iced tea. Their iced yeah, tea is rock solid. And their iced tea is just from like a syrup. It's just a mix. Well, who cares? But, uh, but it's good. It's though. really good. Yeah. Like, I can drink that all day as well. But yeah, uh, but yeah, their coffee, they burn them they're, and they're, I'm not they burn reg- the, 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 the beans and I'm not a fan of it. It's, yeah. it's so, fine. But yeah, if, if you're if you're I'll drink f- it, but. The first time I had like an espresso after a big meal, it's like, oh, I, got, I get this now. There you go. Uh, and the last bullet point was. Oh, yes. Uh, bullet point number six: Everyone and every everyone and everything can be sued over literally anything. Is this a thing? Yeah. Technically, yes. Technically, yes. It doesn't no, mean the lawsuit's going to go anywhere. It's a litigious world. There's yeah. all kinds of useless lawsuits. There's laws about what kinds of lawsuits can and cannot be filed. Yeah, there are kinds of lawsuits that are specifically designed to just. Not to be one, just to keep a, a certain party busy yeah. while the other party can, uh, you know, essentially wreak vengeance upon them well, by the getting I, them caught up in this red tape. The idea, the idea, and this is something that Donald mm. Trump has done throughout his entire life. He, was, threatened, he threatens to sue. Well, he would he would threaten to sue, and mm. he and everyone's just like, oh, it's, and people would be like, a either a it's not worth the bother, mm. so okay, fine, whatever, you just got away with it, or b okay, but then he'll pay his lawyers enough that he'll keep the lawsuit going for so long mm. that only he can afford to pay his lawyers that long and everyone else just runs out of money and gives up. Yeah. So basically he just, inst- he, he just creates like a lawsuit, lawsuit just to bankrupt yeah. you oh. and then you can't afford to continue the lawsuit and he wins. Anyway, the system is kind of fucked actually. Yeah, it's, it's really way over litigious. Yeah. Uh, any, anybody can be sued for anything. Doesn't mean it's uh, going to work. No, but no. It, it, you can, you can start a lawsuit. Uh, yeah. It's in our constitution. Any grievance that is worth over 20, it's the only dollar amount mentioned in the Constitution. I feel like that should be adjusted for inflation. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> right. What, yeah. that, what was $20 in 1790? When was the Constitutional Convention? 1776, <laughs> yo. No, no, but, no, but, they didn't, uh, but the Constitution wasn't ratified then. That no, was, that was, was that Great of Independence. It was uh, 81. I 81, think. okay. I'm curious if I can do this. Actually, I'm going to look up what five dollars and seven or twenty dollars and seventeen eighty one because they have that. Hold on, yeah, there, there are inflation calculators. I don't know online, if they go back but, that far, but yeah, it, it's written into our constitution that you can redress any kind of legal grievance over anything that costs you over. 
$20. And I don't think that amount has changed since the Constitution was ratified. Mm. Uh, yeah, back Yeah, see, in- this one only goes back to 1913. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I am curious. I, I'll, I'll do not- that, though. I want to, I'm just, even just like 100 years ago. What would twenty dollars? What was twenty dollars? What is twenty nineteen thirteen dollars worth in twenty twenty dollars? Okay. So yeah, all, all of those things are just things. It's part of the culture. Uh, anyway, twenty dollars in nineteen thirteen was the equivalent today of over five hundred and twenty six dollars. So twenty dollars in seventeen eighty one was actually probably a lot of money. Yeah. Probably a lot of money. Well, it, it goes up and down. Well, so, yeah, yeah, but that's still a lot. Like, back then, a penny could actually buy stuff. That's true, but, you know, yeah, also... Yeah, they actually had an expression, a hay penny, mm. which means half a penny, mm. which was useful currency and could buy stuff. Yeah. If you have no penny, a hay penny will do. Yeah. If you have no hay penny, sir, then God bless you. Um, so I hope you can clear some of that stuff up. I realize a lot of what you see in movies or on TV are cliches, and even mm-hmm. if not, that you can probably speak, you probably can't speak for all of the United States. Uh, is there anything else you can think of that you often see portrayed in movies that you don't think is accurate or is accurate, although it's weird? Uh, any examples of things that strike you as weird when you watch European films? Uh, thank you for your time and all your amazing content. Uh, you really keep my days from being boring. All the best to you. Get the cats off the counters. You're sincerely the windy. Uh, th- oh, weird things. Um, a lot. This is something my wife pointed out to me because mm. uh, she is a, a, a beer ex- expert. Mm. She's more of a beer expert than anybody I've met. Uh, she yeah. knows a lot she's about. A connoisseur. Yeah. She's a connoisseur of beer. She knows a lot about beers, and it always rubs her the wrong way when somebody in a movie or a TV show goes into a bar, sits down, and says, "Beer." What? What kind of beer? There's a million there, beers, yeah. and we usually have like special ones on on mm. tap, and they would <laughs> ask like, you what kind of beer you want. The mm. the implication of that kind of thing. Well, first off, it's we don't want to name check a beer but because then we have to a, get the approval or we have to get them to mm. give us money and we don't want to do that. Mm. Or maybe we don't support it. There was a case when Kevin Smith did clerks mm. and one of the things that all the characters were buying were cigarettes right. because people would at convenience stores would buy cigarettes, especially like during the nineties when smoking was more common and he didn't want, I think, I think he didn't, I think he was worried about having like, a, having a brand name name checked in such a profane film, but also I don't think he was necessarily eager to, like, celebrate a cigarette brand. Yeah. I, I forget the exact logistics, but whatever, he didn't want to do it. And so he just had everyone order a pack of cigarettes. Mm-hmm. And in the commentary, Jack, I remember him saying that the his rationale was these are all regular customers. He knows what brand. Yeah. So <clears throat> presumably in, like, a bar-like situation, guy would say a beer. Like, if Vin Diesel in The Fast and Furious goes into a bar and orders a beer, we know he means a Corona. Because that's the brand. Right. That's that's the line. In Fast and Furious, you can have any kind of beer you want, as long as it's a Corona. Like, <laughs> well, What if I like, you know, darker, heavier beers? It's a Corona. It's a Corona now. Okay? That's what we have. Heineken! <laughs> um... Mm. Yeah, that's 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 always weird. Um, God, I'm trying to think. I feel like I'm on the spot now. There's so many mm. things. I'm sure. Um, I've never been like in the closest I've ever been to being in court was I was called in jury duty a couple of times mm. and I almost got selected. 
But um, every single thing I see in every law show, I think is wrong. Yeah, like, I'm well, pretty the, sure 98 percent of the, it is wrong. Uh, the idea of uh, the attorneys getting up from the table and wandering around in front of the judge and in front of the jury. That doesn't happen in a courtroom. You're not that's allowed not a, to get up. That's not a thing. The bailiff will stop you yeah. like that kind of thing. The sort of sidebar approach to the bench. That's that's not that's a not a thing. thing. Yeah, not a thing. Yeah, all of that stuff is mm. stuff that I – some of it I know is not a thing. Some of it I simply suspect is not a thing. Mm. Um, oh, I'm trying to think now. But again, any 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 profession that has a lot of shows about it, like I don't know how doctors work. Yeah. I've, I've seen doctors, <laughs> but I don't know what mm. the actual minutia is like. I know, I know this to some extent because I, I've mentioned before both my parents were educators. They were teachers. And every and as a result, I grew up around them, and I mm. had a very uh, uh, heightened awareness of what it was like to actually be a teacher. And every time I saw a movie or TV show with teachers in it, they were all fake. <laughs> yeah. All of them yeah. were bad. All of them were just like, you would mm. never do that. You could never do that. You would get fired for that. This is not a thing. Why aren't they teaching the lesson plan? School of Rock was ruined for me. <laughs> it's a cute film, but I'm watching it. I'm like, these kids are going to fall behind in their yeah. studies. They're spending so much time on only one subject. My God, this is elementary school, you monster. You're the worst teacher ever, Jack Black. This is a like, m- more complex curriculum when, yeah. when you're in the third or fourth grade. Um, here's a th- Okay, I'm actually curious if anyone, this is something that I've noticed, and I'm curious if anyone ever actually does this. Mm-hmm. And I see this all the time. Still to this day, when people like make an arrangement and saying like, oh, hey, you want to go out on Tuesday? And they were like, yeah. And then they leave. And I'm like, when do you want to meet up somewhere? What do you want to do? Mm. And nowadays, I guess, you know, the implication is I'll, I'll text you and we'll figure it out later. Yeah. But for the majority of history, that was not a thing. And people still did that in movies. <laughs> and it's just like, OK, so. Dinner on Friday? Yeah. Where? Mm. What if you're not by your phone? What are you going to do? Like, you, get, you, you, know you, need, you, should, you should plan. You should at least yeah. set a time and a place. What the shit? You know what we did? We made plans and we showed up on time. <laughs> That's what we did. Somebody, uh, a, a younger person once approached me. And by younger, I mean like 19 years old. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I was already in my 30s. And they they looked at me like sort of screwed up their face and said, how did you even get by back then? Like <laughs> way back in like 1995. Yeah. Back before and, we invented oxygen. And 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 just like, I, I, I don't understand. Can you can you and she was really earnest. Can you like tell me a little bit more? Can you teach me a little bit more like what it was like way back then? Was like, and, and you know what? Fair enough. Fair enough. So yeah, yeah. That's she, probably she how I talked to my parents about the 70s. Yeah. And she know? was really curious. Like what was yeah. life was like in the 90s? I said, give me your phone. I'll give it to you. But I'll give it back to you next week. And she, like, pulled out her phone, nearly handed it over, and then said, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. But honestly, that's yeah. basically it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you, gave up, if you gave up the phone and, like, you could only, like, access the computer, like, from your laptop or your desktop or something so like just that. Just from your desktop. Yeah, you had to be in one place. It's kind of the 90s. No. Yeah, done. But, but... You went out a lot. Yeah, you did. You did go out. You, a lot. you had a driver's license. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and yeah. and you met your friends only in other places, not through online, not chatting, yeah. not at each other's houses, yeah. at a coffee shop or a bowling alley or, or a roller like rink yeah. or wherever it is you're going. Yeah. yeah, you would gather around a place and you'd have a hang. You'd go to the record store. First of all, reinvent record stores. Put them all back out there, please. <laughs> and, the, uh, and video stores too. Yeah. Um, 
there's a co- I'll, I'll end on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a comic strip I was a big, big fan of, of for many years called Mr. Botho. It uh, might still exist, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, growing up, it was one of my favorites. It was right next to Far Side. And mm-hmm. uh, one of the sketches I'll always remember was uh, show business before the invention of jacuzzis and cell phones. And it was a guy in a bubble bath yelling out of his window, Hey, let's do lunch! <laughs> <laughs> Always made me laugh. Mm. All right. Uh, I guess that's it for We've Got Mail. That's it. Cool. Uh, (laughs) Thank you, everybody, for writing in. Fun bunch of letters this week. Um, Yeah, you can write in. Letters at criticallyacclaimed.net is the email. We'll read your email, even if it's a long one or if it's a short one or uh, what have you. You want to ask us questions. You want to put us to the test. Yeah, let's get some trivia in here or something. Let's have some fun times. Um, whatever you want, really. Mm. We're open books. So uh, thank you, everybody, who wrote in. Uh, we apologize if we didn't get to your email. We get a lot of emails, uh, mm. and uh, we hopefully will get to yours uh, in the future. Uh, again, letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. You can also follow us on Twitter at criticacclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I am at Whitney Seibel. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash criticallyacclaimednetwork. And without those patrons... Oh, we wouldn't be here. That's true. That we would. This would have ended a long, long time ago. We put a lot of time into this, and uh, it, seriously, it means a lot to us that we have your support. And once again, I'm not going to do this every single episode because mm. uh, people get tired of hearing it. But thank you, everybody, once again, who chipped in to buy us a, a new laptop so we could keep putting out podcasts. Yeah. And, uh, we promise we will put out so many podcasts. <laughs> you thought we put out a lot of podcasts now. Just you wait. <laughs> oh, wait, I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> Can we do a 24 hour podcast? Do you think, do you think that would even be possible? Uh, only if we're doing it for charity. If I if, do it for if charity, we're, if we're doing like some sort of draw, like membership drive and we're giving like a, a, a portion to charity or something, oh, I would, I would yeah, give all of it like to that, charity, yeah. you know, that would basically anything, every, everything above mm-hmm. operating costs, yeah. which would basically be nothing. It'd just be you and me support yeah. uh, the Trevor project, the heifer project, uh, the ACLU. Yeah. Um, Jesus. Uh, so Medi- Black, Medi- Black Lives uh, Matter, uh, uh, Planned Parenthood, like there's some yeah, doctors without borders. There, yeah. there are a lot of causes I there's support on the regular when I many. can. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, anyway, <laughs> Maybe someday, but uh, for now we'll just we'll just keep doing as many as we can. Mm-hmm. So thank you everybody once again for listening. Patreon.com slash Critically Network if you want to get a bunch of exclusive other podcasts on top of the ones you're getting here on the main feed. Uh, if you can't afford to help us out, leave us a review, subscribe, tell a friend that even that helps. Uh, either way, we hope you're having a really nice holiday weekend. If you're in a place where we're celebrating the holidays. Uh, please don't forget it is a holiday, but we're still in the middle of a pandemic. Play safe, please. Please, please, please play safe. If we play it safe this year, next year, we can have a real Thanksgiving, okay? We, and then we'll all have a story that we can tell our kids about the Thanksgiving that wasn't. <laughs> it'll, be a, it'll be a feel-good movie on Hallmark or something. Yeah. All right, it'll be a whole thing. And you can say you were there as opposed to I ignored it. And so the pandemic raged on for another year and a half longer than it needed to. Um, so, uh, again, thank you, everybody. Happy holidays. And uh, sincerely yours, Bibbs and Whitney. 